Danny, we just want to start by saying that uh, you know we have a lot of uh, screenwriters and other artists that watch mm -hmm. our channel and that we recommend that they see Rebel in the Rye. It's an excellent film um, for artists, so we just want to start it out. I love that. Yeah. Well, yeah, the film is very much an artist manifesto. I mean, it's literally about the writing process and about what it means to be an artist. So. I think that your site's perfect for the film. Oh, perfect. Well, yeah. thank you. Yeah, and uh, and it shows that there's uh, many, many ups and downs in the journey, and we yeah. don't give away any spoilers, but um, so we just want to start the interview off with that. Um, so when you were writing the film, and I realized that you, you found a book in a bookstore that was the biography from, what, 2010? Yeah, 2011, I think, okay. when the Solinsky uh, biography came out. Right. Called and J.D. I Salinger, A Life. Okay, right, and I realized that was one that was maybe a little more tame about him. It focused more on sort of the positive, if I remember some of the yeah. things I saw. Yeah, yeah, it, it certainly wasn't, uh, I thought it was inaccurate, an, an but it wasn't uh, out to get him, sure. for sure, yeah. Right, that's what I had read in some of the um, But I will say, too, that the film is not just sourced from one source. I mean, I read all the biographies, and I interviewed people that knew him, and, and so ultimately the screenplay is informed by many different sources, but the book was the genesis of it, and uh, a huge part of the research does come from that book. Okay. Did you almost feel as if uh, J.D. Salinger was with you at times? I mean, I know that's sort of a, mm -hmm. a common question that people mm -hmm. get, that are, but I mean, you know, especially being in the writer's experience, that's something you've had personally as well. Yeah, uh, I never felt J.D. Salinger was with me, although I think he's with me right now. So, <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, it, it was, yeah, it wasn't really like that. It's more of, for me, trying to, and it's, and it's not exclusive J.D. Salinger, it's all my characters. Right, all my characters, no matter how small the part is, is I'm just trying to get in the headspace of that character's point of view. And so I'm constantly trying to, and I basically, when I write, I act out the parts in my head as I'm writing them. And I used to think I was crazy. And then uh, I read an interview with Aaron Sorkin where he said he played all the parts as he read, as he wrote them in his head. And I thought, oh, I do too. <laughs> you know, I was this, with this relief that, okay, well, the great screenwriter of our times is what he does. So, uh, and that had been my process. So that's where I'm constantly just trying to get into the voice and the headspace of the characters as I write them. That's the great thing about the uh, Bluetooth uh, headpiece because you can be doing something as you're driving and then people just think you're in an animated conversation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My fiance says I look like a crazy person because I walk around and sometimes I'm doing dialogue and I, she'll make fun of me and she'll just say, you just did this and you were talking. And I said, I did not. That's an unfair accusation. Uh, even though I know it's true. I say, well, that's good that you're living in a, a parallel universe. Yeah, or, or deeply uh, psychosis. Either way. <laughs> When do you start writing every day? Uh, I write, so I, I have basically the same pattern when I'm writing. Sometimes if I'm doing, if I'm in production or it'll, it'll change, but if I'm just in a writing phase, which is my favorite, to be honest with you, because I love my schedule as a writer, is I wake up, I go somewhere, have breakfast, and, and usually I'll go somewhere where I can have breakfast and write, and then I'll open my computer, so now it's around 10.30ish, and then I return emails for about an hour, hour and a half, uh, and then I start writing. And then I write for about three to four hours straight, and then I'm done. And that is basically my process. And sometimes it takes me two hours to get started, uh, and then when I get to that two-hour mark and I haven't started, that's when self-loathing comes in. So then I do get started, but usually I can get going in about an hour to an hour and a half. 
this a computer that has uh, it's hooked up to the internet, so yeah, you can yeah. Okay. I'm 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 definitely stay on the internet because I'm I'm looking things up all the time as I'm writing. Um, sometimes it's just random things. I'll looking for a synonym for something, and I'll just type go to synonym and type in a word, and some synonyms will pop up, and um, so it can be as as uh, simple as that. So it's not a distraction, it sounds like. No, not on the whole. I mean, it can be a little bit, but um, but it works for me, and so uh, but that's that's my schedule. And what's the longest writing day you've ever had? Uh, I don't like to write once I get tired because then I just lose my focus and the writing's not as good. Um, so, but I, I was for the first two seasons on Empire, I wrote a lot of the show. And so those would turn into sometimes long days and where you're writing, you're rewriting an episode and, and, and you're doing a lot of work. So sometimes it's 10 hours and I, I don't like it at all. And I don't think the work, I think the work suffers for it. So you think you're better at the three to four hour? Yeah, that's why I do it. I mean, it's literally as soon as I start to lose my focus, um, then just stop. And I don't have writer's block. I don't. It's not a very dramatic thing. There's no inspiration. I don't wait for inspiration. I say inspiration is for amateurs. Amateurs get inspired. Professionals just go do it. And um, and it's not even very dramatic anymore. I mean, I just go, and I know I'm going to do it. I mean, I know I'm going to get stuff done. Uh, and it's very productive, to be honest with you. I find that that I get a lot of writing done because I don't make a big deal about it. I don't. It's not this big dramatic thing for me. I just show up and then I just get going. And like I said, it takes sometimes an hour, an hour and a half to actually get started. Occasionally, two hours. Uh, and then we. And then I just start going. And I try to be non-judgmental of it. And I don't sit there and question it or think that I'm not talented. Or I, I just try and do it. And then. Um, and then there's a phase when you have to edit it and go through it, and that can be more, um, you know, that's a more critical part of your brain. But um, I do my best to not beat myself up about it, and if I don't like something, I just change it. And I just keep working on it and working on it and not turn it into some big melodramatic artist struggle. I don't, I don't view it that way at all. I will say one thing that I think could be very interesting to people uh, that are writers is, is um, what I do is I outline a script very meticulously, and my outlines are about 25 pages to 30 pages long. And then when I go to write the actual first draft, I will not reread one word of what I've written until I've written the whole script. So for my first pass on a screenplay, I start from the beginning and then I just go. And I go all the way through until I'm done without having read one word of it. And it takes about three weeks. So in three weeks, I've written a whole draft and it's a lot of fun because there is no judgment whatsoever. <laughs> I'm just writing straight through. And then I go through and very meticulously work through the scenes. Um, and that takes two to three weeks. And then in six weeks, I have a draft, but it's really two drafts because I've done one straight through and then one this sort of meticulous work through. And I will say that the second phase of it, the meticulous work through phase, is uh, the least enjoyable part of the whole process because it's the most critical where I just, for a couple weeks, it's just I have to work through these scenes, and, and, uh, and then, but I just do it. And then after that, I have a draft to work off of, and then there's many drafts after that, but it's, it's I have this nice foundation. So going back to what you said about not making a big deal about waiting for inspiration, yeah. was it always that way for you? 
I know this was over many years of figuring this out. And for the first several years I was writing, I was deep in my acting career and writing was more therapeutic to get my mind off of uh, the very painful <laughs> trials and tribulations of an acting career because um, it's very difficult and you get rejected a lot and uh, all the cliches are absolutely true. And then, um, but I was serious about it, but it was, uh, you know, I think it just took a while of realizing the, the beating yourself up and the I have no talent or this is terrible or I, I'll, I'll work with a writer um, and they'll say, oh, that was shit. And I said, don't, don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> don't worry about if it's good or bad. Just let's just take a look at it and see what, what could be improved. There's no reason to be so caustic and hostile about the material. It's just words on a screen. You can change them. <laughs> it's, it's just, just change them. Um, so that's very much uh, something that guides me in, in my work. So would you say you still spend about 300 days a year writing Empire? No. No, I was, I was the first two seasons of Empire, I was very uh, active. And then season three, I, I switched to consulting and went and made Rebel in the Rye. So I have, I'm now season three and four. I, I'm, you know, I'm still the executive producer on it, but, but I'm not nearly as hands-on as I was in the first two seasons. So you probably couldn't have written Rebel in the Rye and also Empire at the same time. Well, I wrote, I think I wrote Rebel in the Rye the first couple drafts before Empire happened. And it actually, Empire Happening slowed my progress in getting Rebel in the Rye made because Empire got made. Um, so I ended up working on that, but I ended up directing a lot of episodes of Empire. So that was an amazing experience for me to transition into directing. It just couldn't have been a better way to, to, to really learn uh, that craft because you have to move so quickly and, and I have plenty more to learn, but it was a great, it was a great start for me. When you're writing, and I know you said you had this writing day where you have your breakfast, you kind of do a few things, get, get a lot of like housekeeping, quote-unquote, mm -hmm. out of the way. Um, is it easier to write in New York versus L.A., or the place doesn't really matter? Well, I love New York City. I, I love being there. I'm just so happy there. So for me, I can write anywhere, and that's kind of one of the fun things about writing is I can be anywhere in the world, and I can write. And it's actually pretty cool to be in some random city somewhere in some random coffee shop and you're writing. And it's, it's like, how often does someone have a job that they can do anywhere in the world? I mean, that's a lot of fun. Um, and I, I'm perfectly productive in Los Angeles too. I just, I just love being in New York and it's a, it's just exciting place to be, so. Can you relate to J.D. Salinger's process in terms of once he sort of crossed over into meditation and all of that where he needed to really barricade himself? Can you relate to that? Or? Um, I definitely don't barricade myself at all. I actually write in public places. Uh, I don't like being in a quiet room by myself. I have a, a, a certain amount of ADD and being in a quiet room, I zone out and I'm less productive. So I actually like having people around me. I wear my headset, I listen to music, I write to, to movie scores. So I'm just listening to movie scores and people are around and there's an energy and, and I find it very helpful. Um, and it just helps me focus, but that's just me. So I, um, I the, you know, the, the, the isolation uh, of, of what, what Mr. Salinger did is kind of the opposite of, of, of how I work. Um, for new writers, I know they're told to get feedback from other people. Um, and I was just reading Anne Lamott's Bird by Bird, and she talked about like writers' conferences and mm -hmm. how they can be helpful. But at the same time, sometimes the same 
you know, slashing to the edits is also stabbing the screenwriter a little bit. You talk about the kindest way to give somebody honest feedback. So you're actually helping them, mm -hmm. but you're not wounding them so that they won't go on. Well, I think that the best way to give feedback, and I'm very, I very much rely on feedback, and I need notes from people, and it helps me see problems, and it's a very important part of my process is getting feedback. But I think that um, to keep, I mean, good feedback is when it's just about the script. It doesn't get personal. It doesn't, you know, talk about bigger ideas of whether you can do this or not, or you have talent or not. Where it's literally just about how to make this script or this story better in areas that are problematic. And I think that um, I don't. I think it's really important when someone's getting feedback that they talk to a few people, that they get feedback from from maybe three people. Because there could be feedback that someone gives you that they're very passionate about, but they don't know what they're talking about, that it's bad feedback, that they're just not good at giving feedback. <laughs> There's a lot of people that aren't good at giving feedback, right? So you want, you want a few opinions. And for me, when I start hearing from two or three people the same problem they're having, well, there's probably a problem there, and there's probably something I need to address. And one of my favorite parts of writing is when I take a problem and then I fix it and then it's good. That's it's so exciting because you have something that was bad that's now good. <laughs> and just it's just it's like you have a hole and instead of having a ditch, you have a statue there instead. So it's a very um, but I can only get that get there when by getting feedback from people. You had early success in your screenwriting career as you had your first screenplay option for like a few thousand dollars, I think, mm -hmm. in the beginning. Uh, and then you wrote for six years and you were able to sell Recount to HBO. So most people would have given up in that six-year period, especially now when mm -hmm. everybody wants everything like that. Um, why didn't you? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, the early success, it wasn't really success, <laughs> I would say. I, I wouldn't really call it early success. I, I It was... I don't even view it that way. I view it as a, six years of no one wanting my stuff. And it was you know, some random person who was very kind, was interested in the script, but it wasn't as if it was all of a sudden, I made it and I, it's happening now. So it really was uh, a six, seven year journey to selling my first project, um, which was Recount. And why I didn't give up, I think, is because I had something to say. And I loved writing these scripts. And they were important to me, and I, I loved working on stories. Um, and it just was artistically extremely fulfilling, where my acting career was very uh, frustrating. And sometimes I, and I worked, I did really some, worked on some terrific shows that I'm really proud of, but I wasn't actually getting to act very much. So even when you're working, um, you know, I would do episodes of Gilmore Girls, and I would do four episodes a season, and I would work on it a day or two, and that would be one of my only jobs for six months. So it's really about seven days on set f over a six-month period. So what am I doing the rest of the time? I'm auditioning and trying to get new jobs, but that's a, an hour a day maybe. So really it was, it was a, a creative outlet for me of taking my creative energy and putting it into something where I can actually just go do it. Whereas an actor, you have to be picked to go do it, and then you rarely get picked. So I just found it fulfilling, but I also um, was getting rejected left and right, um, script after script, and agents, managers, production company, everyone didn't want my work for six, seven years. 
And I think uh, I got to a point where I asked myself, this is not going well. <laughs> what, are you, what do you want from this? What, what are you doing? And I sort of I asked myself, would I, and it's one of the key questions in the movie, would I do this for the rest of my life if I got nothing in return? And I thought, yeah, I would. And then I just kept writing. And then eventually, it wasn't as if six months later, crack the champagne, it was maybe three years later that I sold Recount as a pitch uh, to HBO and then just kind of went on from there. But there was a certain peace in knowing that it wasn't about, um, it wasn't about selling something or success, even though I really wanted it. I wasn't, you know, it wasn't a kumbaya moment, but there was a peace in knowing that, um, well, whatever happens, you just keep writing. So just keep writing, and that's what I did. Yeah, and I saw that you wove that, I think, in two parts of the movie, that, that premise. Yeah. Which I think is a big eye-opener to a lot of people. That's something that most people may not be ready for. Yeah, and, and look at what J.D. Salinger did, right? He stopped publishing at the height of his fame and then continued writing for 45 years for nothing in return. And he wrote every day. And he just did it because he just wanted to write. And I think, to me, that's what makes this story a profound story, is the journey of the artist. And he goes from being a young man who all he wants is success to being uh, a, a, an older writer, which all he wants is to just create his art and nothing else. And uh, that's, that's the journey. That's the, the Aesop fable of this movie.